Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 76. Lots going on in the golf world right now. Brooks Kepka did it again. First, he goes back-to-back at the U.S. Open, now back-to-back at the PGA. little shaky there at the end, but hey, check the scoreboard, folks. That's four majors under his belt before the age of 30. Incredible stuff. The NCAAs are ramping up as well. The ladies are taking center stage right now. The men follow. Best of luck to everyone competing down there in Arkansas. Kind of a quick intro this week because I'm getting ready to get out of town, get on a plane, head down to the Dominican Republic, and play all of the great golf courses at Casa de Campo. This has been on the list for quite some time. Finally getting down there to play the Teeth of the Dog, the Die Four. I want to see what this place is all about. I will be taking lots of photos and videos. I'm really trying to get more of that posted on our social media channels, so stay tuned for that. I also have another golf trip planned the week after. I know what you all are thinking, back-to-back weeks. Don't you have a job? Well, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm a working stiff, just like everyone else, but I got an absolutely insane invitation that I just could not turn down. Now, I can't tell you where it is because I don't want to jinx it, but I'll be posting pictures from there as well, so just hang tight, hold your breath, because between Casa de Campo and this next place, I am still shaking my head that this is real. So follow the Back of the Range Golf Podcast on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, and Instagram is where a lot goes down. Follow us there at the Back of the Range Podcast. I always ask for reviews in Apple Podcasts. I can't thank you enough for everyone that has taken the time to do that. I know it takes some time to get in there and write something. I appreciate each and every one of you that has done so. It really does mean a lot. I love getting the feedback. So if you have some time, go ahead and do that. And hey, as always, take a snapshot, post it on your social media, tag us, and I'll shoot you some free swag. We have some stuff coming in, so make sure you do that. I love getting stuff out to the listeners so that you can put a golf towel on your bag or hat or something. Let people know that you listen to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. So our guest this week is another U.S. mid-amateur champion. In fact, it's the current one, Kevin O'Connell. This is a bit of a lengthy episode, but it's very interesting. It's very informative. We hit on everything from playing in the Masters, and I actually asked him a pretty tough question about that. What, what was harder for him, the first tee ball or telling close family members that you're out of tickets? I asked him what he's doing to put himself in the best spot possible to get picked for the 2019 Walker Cup team. How is he keeping his game sharp? We also debuted some of our Inside the Ropes listener questions. These questions were awesome. I threw them in at the very end, and we're going to keep on doing this segment because, as I've said in the past, this is your podcast as much as it is mine. So let's get started. Let's welcome the current United States mid-amateur champion, Kevin O'Connell, to the podcast. Kevin, welcome to the back of the range. Ben, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's kind of been a whirlwind for you this past year. And actually since last, you know, last September, last October, when you kind of uh, uh, ran through the field at the U.S. Mid-Am and won that, um, we're going to hit into a lot of what you've been doing for the last year and preparing for, obviously, uh, you know, the U.S. Open coming up. I know you just got done with the Masters. 
but let's kind of dig in a little bit and get make sure our listeners fully understand the little bit of the trajectory of your career. Um, yeah. I know you played at the University of North Carolina, played all four years there, but can you kind of share with our listeners, you know, how you got into the game of golf? Yeah, of course. So, you know, like, like a lot of guys probably, um, you know, the, the key influencers for me were my father uh, and, and a grandfather, um, you know, both pretty good players and, and just avid golfers. And so, you know, for me, it was probably around two or three years old. It was plastic clubs and playing the dog legs around the hallways in my house. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, it kind of morphed from there into going out with my dad and playing with his friends probably when I was five or six years old. That was my first time out actually on the golf course. Uh, cut down clubs. Um, again, uh, uh, probably a pretty, a pretty standard, uh, you know, beginning for me. And, you know, when you, when you pick up a game that young, uh, it tends to just kind of, um, you know, it's in your blood by the time you're, you know, kind of a teenager. And so, um, that was kind of how I got started. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's the best game. I, I love being able to share it uh, you know, with, with my family. And I, I think it's so cool too, because you know, there's a, a group of guys that my dad plays a lot of golf with on the weekends back in Raleigh, North Carolina. And the, you know, the, the age spans, you know, 13, 14 years old to, to kind of, you know, early seventies. And I'm just not sure there's another game where, you know, the, the gap in age can be 13 to say 75 and everybody can be playing in the same group. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Other than your dad, when you, when you were growing up and playing the junior golf, uh, you know, you know, playing, playing casual games from the club, other than your dad, who's the most memorable character at the club you grew up at that, that kind of took you under his wing and, and kind of showed you the ropes, so to speak. Who, sure. That, who, who's, wow. who's the character? I guess I'm, that's what right. I'm looking for. Who's the character that's like, oh my gosh, that's my crazy uncle at the club that I'm not related to, <laughs> but yeah, that's my crazy uncle. Our uh, the, the club I, I played a lot of golf at before we uh, moved uh, when I started high school. It's called Wildwood Green uh, Golf Club. It's in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, it, you know, th there's been a little bit of a revolving door uh, of head pros there, but uh, probably from the time I was 10 years old until maybe 12 or 13, uh, the head pro's name was Jason Cox and, and Jason is now with the Carolinas golf association. But, uh, Jason was a great player. Um, you know, and he kind of had the time, uh, to come out and play with myself and some of the other juniors, uh, in the mornings, uh, you know, in the summertime when mom would kind of drop me off. And, um, you know, he's kind of the one who introduced me to, you know, what it was like to play for a couple dollars out on the golf course. And, uh, you know, like I said, a really good player. I learned a lot from him and, and he was definitely a little bit of a personality, uh, you know, for an 11 year old, um, playing with the head pro in the beginning, there was definitely, you know, a little bit of nerves playing with, uh, such a good player and, and a guy like that. Um, you know, he was probably my introduction to, uh, to playing with pros who, who would ask you to kind of move out of their through line and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I'd probably say Jason is that guy. That's, that's awesome to have that kind of an experience. And, and like I said, not having it be a parent, not having right. it be a relative, just, just the guy at the club that kind of shows you around. Um, it's funny you mentioned through line cause there are times where I'm playing and, and, uh, it's amazing. Uh, well, 
Uh, right. I'm going to let you explain a through line just in case people are listening. They yeah. do not, they don't know what a through line is. Let's, let's do a little service here and educate some people. So go ahead. Yeah, you bet. So, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's one of two things, actually. It, it can be, uh, you know, let's say a golfer, a, you know, has a putt, uh, of whatever length it is. You don't want to be standing, uh, past the hole on that same line uh, that that guy might be putting on. It can just be a distraction. And then part two of that is when you're finishing a hole, uh, you want to do the best you can uh, to make sure that where you stand uh, is not going to be in a place where uh, another player might miss his putt and then have to, uh, to to putt through that footprint or whatever it is that you might've done to the green. Now, uh, that, that may not be as relevant now with the rule change. You can tap everything down, but, uh, it's just kind of a common courtesy and something that, um, you kind of learn as you go. Yep. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a great way of explaining it. As I said, you played four years at, at Chapel Hill university, of North Carolina had, yep. had great success there. Um, you know, sure. freshman of the year in the ACC conference. I love anytime I get a chance to talk to anyone that ever played college golf. I love to talk about, the recruiting process they went through, or was it a, a foregone conclusion that they were going to play, you know, division one, what their right. experience was like. So, um, you know, maybe you can share just a little bit about, you know, your college golf experience. Was it a foregone conclusion that you were going to play college golf? When did it start entering your head? Just kind of things like that. You know, when I was growing up from probably eight years old until, uh, I would say 13, I, I played pretty much all the sports, right? I mean, sure. I, I, I love playing soccer, played baseball, uh, played basketball. Basketball is probably my, definitely my second love. And, uh, around 13 is when I put a lot of those other sports, really all those other sports down and, and started to focus on golf as I, you know, went from eighth grade into high school. And so, uh, during that same time, uh, my, my family moved from Raleigh over to Cary and, um, Green Hope High School is where I play my high school golf, and and we were a a really good uh, 4A uh, public uh, you know high school had a lot of good sports golf definitely among those we won two state championships as a team I, I won the individual title as a senior and uh, you know that that experience was almost like a, a precursor to college I mean we had all five guys that that played went on to play Division One golf the following year wow. Um, yeah, you know, it's the same school where Brendan Todd uh, came out of. He went on to play at Georgia, and obviously a winner on the PGA Tour. Uh, he and I did not cross paths uh, during high school, but, um, you know, he kind of got that legacy, I guess, if you will, started uh, at Green Hope. And it was run by um, or coached by David Allen, who definitely approached it, um, you know, like a college golf coach would. I mean, we had workouts back in 2000 and you know, uh, four, five, six, seven, uh, during high school. And I, I, I don't know if we were at the forefront of that, but, um, I know at the time that was definitely uncommon. Um, and so, you know, there, there was that, that was a great experience. I think it definitely prepared me well, uh, for college golf. And as far as the recruiting process, uh, I mentioned to you before Wildwood Green uh, was actually run by, um, a couple of NC state, you know, guys and, uh, Chip Watson actually uh, went on to be an assistant coach at NC State for several years before he started to focus on uh, on things at Lonnie Pool Golf Course, which is NC State's 
home course. And so, you know, they, they were kind of in my ear from a pretty young age, having grown up at Wildwood uh, to come play for them at, at NC state. And so, you know, I, I think from probably seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, it was kind of in my mind that, you know, NC state was where I was going to go play my college golf. Yeah. And um, as I continue to improve and, and, uh, and play some national tournaments and have some success, uh, at that kind of level, um, you know, as you can imagine, some other players stepped in, obviously North Carolina being one. Um, I, I have an uncle that lives out near Los Angeles and, um, I, I, I spent some time out there visiting him and fell in love with that area. And so there were, you know, UCLA was another school that, um, you, you know, was one that was probably a little bit more of a pipe dream, uh, going all the way across the country would have been a big move, but, um, you know, as a teenager, you know, Los Angeles is kind of a cool place, uh, especially when you're not from there, sure. you just visit there, you, you know, you kind of, you can fall in love with it pretty easy. And so, um, you know, that was another school that I had a lot of interest in going to, but, um, you know, in the end, I would also throw Wake Forest in, you know, storied program, uh, Jerry Haas. I really liked him a lot. Um, I, I would say those were kind of the four schools, NC State, Wake Forest, UCLA, and and North Carolina were kind of the four schools that, um, you know, that I really took a, a look at. Um, and, you know, ultimately w- with Chapel Hill, like I said, a big hoops fan, I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, they won a, a national championship in 2005 when I was being recruited by them. And I was able to, um, you know, being only a half hour from campus, I was able to go over and take in some games and, um, you know, that was just, I, I really liked that, uh, that aspect of it, being able to, um, you know, go watch such a great basketball, uh, sure. you know, program play that, you know, it sounds, it might sound a little different, but you know, for me that I thought that was really cool. And, um, again, at that age, you know, stuff like that, uh, it, it can have an influence. And I, I would also add that, you know, John Inman was my coach, uh, at UNC and he was, you know, he played probably a dozen years on the PGA tour, won a couple events out there. And so, um, you know, the combination of, of, of things just led me to, 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 to go do that. I also thought, you know, uh, going to Chapel Hill would be, while it's only a half hour away, it would be a little bit of a, um, you know, it would feel like I went off to college, you know, instead right. of just kind of remaining, um, you know, around the Raleigh and Cary area. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a normal <laughs> college kid thing or the normal yeah. high school kid thing. I want to go someplace where I'm going to have, I'm going to have fun at school. And right. So let me ask you this. You mentioned John Inman, you know, PGA yep. tour veteran, winner on tour, uh, was part of your decision to go there immediately, uh, or, or was the was the recruiting process set up in a way where immediately you were thinking, okay, I'm going to go here to get myself ready to turn professional, or was it still just, I just want to go play college golf, I love hoops, I love UNC, and right. was that in your mind initially, or or when did that start to take shape? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, uh, having played the game from such an early age and and enjoyed some success on the national level as a junior and and winning the state championship in high school, um, I, I was obviously a pretty good player. And uh, you know, um, when I showed up at school, I, I had success right away. I was third team All America, freshman of the year in the ACC. And so I, I would say during that 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 freshman year, it went from uh, you know 
playing golf for a living is something that I would like to do. I'm not sure if I'm good enough to, you know, I, I think I am good enough and it definitely moved, uh, you know, to the forefront for me. And so the last three years of school definitely became about, um, you know, working out the right way and, and, sure. and doing all of the little things. And, and to answer your question, certainly, uh, you know, playing golf after school was, was definitely something that I began to focus on. You, you mentioned all the little things that you sure. need to do to become a professional. So yeah. let's take the stuff on the golf course off the table, so to speak. What yeah. are some of the little things you learned from Coach Inman or even some of the little things you've learned along the way? Uh, you know, we'll get into your, your foray into professional golf. Uh, I know you, you're a reinstated amateur at this time, of course. But, you know, the little things that you learn, um, can you share maybe a couple of those? A lot of my friends, uh, you know, in, in, in college were, were actually not on the golf team and guys that I lived with. And, um, you know, there's definitely plenty of, of kind of experiences on into 1 or 2 a.m. that they might have had that, you know, I, I did not. Uh, I don't know what you you're know, talking you... about. Can you explain <laughs> that in detail? Because I'm not sure. Because sure. I, I went to sleep at 10 o'clock every night when okay, I was in college. I yeah, I had a lot of egg whites in the morning at 6 a.m. There you go. Yeah, hit the gym and uh, yeah, really, I drank a lot of Diet Coke and uh, and tomato juice. So can you just, okay. I, I'm just kidding. But you can go into, you can give an example. Yeah. All right, what's the best party that you heard about that you didn't get to go to? Oh, man, the Deke House at, at UNC is pretty legendary. They, you know, I, I, I had, you know, some friends that were in the house and then obviously some of the guys I lived with were pretty good friends with some of those guys and they probably had the best frat house on, on campus and definitely had some of the most legendary parties. Um, I, I was, I was at the house actually for the 2009 national championship game. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it was just kind of typical college stuff. Right. But, uh, it's filled out onto Franklin street, uh, after we won and there's definitely some, pretty classic images of some kids climbing up some, you know, power poles and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that, I, I think that night definitely sticks out the most for me. Nice. Uh, so, so you learned, you learned how to, you learned a little bit about that, but like some of yep. the other things you learned in college, yeah, we yeah, deviated you, there. Yeah, 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 we did. That's okay. These <laughs> things happen here. Hey, we're at the back of the range. Things get weird. So it's totally fine. No, but yeah, we'll, we'll bring it on, bring it on back to, okay. you know, what, what did you do or, you know, what things did you learn? Um, you know, off the golf course to help you become yep. a professional? Yeah. I, I, I'll be the first to admit, you, you know, I, I firsthand got to see, uh, kind of the first class facilities that exist at, you know, in Chapel Hill, um, it, you know, the, as far as the staff goes, that was put together for our golf program. Um, I mean, we had access to everything you could need in terms of trainers. Uh, and I tried to take advantage of that, you know, at that age, it, it can be a little tough to kind of see how important that is, but um, you know, as I went through school and, and got closer to, you know, graduating and wanting to go out and play professional golf, it became really important to kind of take care of your body, not just working out, but also, um, you know, decisions you make in terms of how you eat, particularly on the road. Um, it can be really tough. You know, you're playing oftentimes it's 36 holes or 36 whole days in college and um, you might have a little bit of, uh, schoolwork that you have to take care of as well. It can be easy to just, uh, you know, tell coach you want to run through the McDonald's drive-through because you don't have any time, but 
Um, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It, it's making the hard decisions to, uh, to try to eat a little bit better, even though it might take a little bit more time. And, uh, you know, um, I, I think it's just, it, when I talk about the little things, it's that stuff, right. It, it's, sure. it's doing the best you can to, to eat as well as you can, as often as you can. Uh, it's taking care of your body. It's, it's stretching. Um, it's trying to put on a little bit of muscle and that stuff just, um, it, it, it's going the extra mile really is all it is. It's, it's a lot easier to, to not do that stuff. And, and, uh, and you might even in the, in the intermediate, uh, play just as well. But I think in the long term you start to see the results of, of making some of those good decisions. So you, you wrap up your, your career at North Carolina, you're getting prepared, uh, to go into the professional ranks. I know that you, went and played a little bit on the mini tours, the, the e-golf tour, you know, in North Carolina, right. they play a lot of South Carolina, Georgia, all over the place. But so sure. you, you graduate in 2011. Did you go right into it then? Or, you know, kind of what was the, the arc uh, or the start of everything? Yeah. So I got done in 2011, went to Q school that fall at the time, I think 2011, I could be wrong, but I want to say that was the final year that you could uh, cruise through Q school and, and actually get a PGA tour card. Um, that sounds about and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, that, that didn't work out. In fact, I, I went to Q school three times and, and never did make it past first stage. It was, I, I never missed by more than two. It was like missed by one, two, and one. You know, it, it just, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously that was disappointing and, and heartbreaking to kind of feel like you prepare all year, uh, you know, for one series of, of kind of qualifying tournaments. And when it doesn't work out, um, you know, you really got to search around for for money and, and places to play and places to kind of stay sharp for, uh, you know, for that period the next year. It, you know, when you're when you're kind of in that when you're in that kind of pipeline of players, it's it's just you know, you're not playing for a ton of money if you're not on the web.com or PGA tour. Um, and you're really just trying to do the best you can to, uh, to keep your game in order, uh, yeah. for the qualifying school. And so, um, you know, 2011, 12 and 13 are the years that, you know, I went to Q school and like I said, never made it past first stage. And, um, it definitely got, got frustrating. And, um, yeah, so, uh, Lee Bedford was a, a friend of mine from, uh, from Cary and he actually played his college golf at Wake Forest and was a really, really good player. I know he was an all American, uh, multiple times during school. And unlike me, he came out, uh, of school in 2012 and he got out onto the web.com tour right away. And, um, the web.com tour at that time played, uh, four out of their first six events down in South America. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he, I think he probably wanted somebody that he was somewhat close to that, could go down there and you know he could lean on instead of getting a guy that didn't speak english etc uh on his bag and so um i went down there with him and kind of shared those experiences uh with him and had a chance for the first time kind of on a weekend week out basis to to really kind of you know see golf played at that level yeah um and, and you know in the beginning of that year it was in my mind that i, I actually was going to stop playing and uh, I was just going to kind of see where, where it went with Lee, uh, in terms of being his caddy. And, uh, yeah, just six weeks in, uh, I, I kind of, it definitely lit a fire, uh, you know, in me, I, I felt like I, um, 
between what I learned watching those guys and and uh, just kind of the drive that I felt like I still had. I, I wanted to go back out and and play a schedule on the E Tour and and play some Monday qualifiers and and go to Q School again. And so um, that's what I did. I caddied for him, had a great time, learned a lot, uh, and, and went to Q School that fall. And unfortunately, again, you know, I was at Pine Wild in, in Pinehurst for my first stage, and I, I missed getting through by one shot. And, uh, you know, when you look back on that stuff, it's, it's, it can be, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about where things, uh, how things might've been different, right. If, if I had kind of been one shot better and gone on the second stage, oh, it's, it's just, a, <laughs> um, may not be the, you know, where I'm at now. Well, and, and the thing too, about this game of golf is, as you well know, one shot, two shots makes just the entire difference in, in a career, in a, it's life changing. And I mean, when you're out there catting, are you looking at these guys and wanting to get back into it because you're saying, Oh hell, I'm better than these guys, or I'm just as good as these guys. I need to keep doing this because it's just a stroke here and there. That's all it is. Well, it's so funny that you say it that way. I'll never forget uh, where I was in Panama with Lee uh, and the hotel is kind of upstairs at a casino there that a lot of the players stay at. And uh, one of the guys, Andrew Loop, uh, who's my age, sure, was, yeah. was playing on the web.com tour at the time. We're, we're just kind of sitting down there uh, uh, at the blackjack table and we were, we were talking about it. And, you know, he's like, I think it was in 2011 or 2012, similar to me, he missed getting, uh, through a stage. I can't remember which one it was by one shot. He said he, you know, he missed, uh, somewhat of a short putt on his final hole and it ended up that, uh, you know, that cost him getting through. And, and, you know, when he was deciding kind of what to do, he, he kind of thought to himself, you know, am I any worse of a player because I didn't make that putt? Is that a reason to not kind of keep playing? And, right. you know, his, his kind of answer obviously was, was no, you know, I'm no different player if I miss or make that putt really. Um, and, and you know, that, that's kind of stuck with me, uh, not just at that time, but even to now, you know, it, it's like, it, it, it's gotta be a, a bigger reason in my opinion to kind of stop playing competitive golf than maybe a shot here or a shot there, because it, it's not, that's not, doesn't speak to how good or bad of a player you are interesting that you put it that way because yeah that's that all kind of comes down to being mentally prepared for the the ups and downs and knowing how to shake off just the you know you know you miss a two-footer everyone misses a two-footer tiger woods <laughs> right. can miss a two-footer that doesn't mean that that yeah no it's that's a that's a great point yeah um, so let me, so you've you've done Q school three times. You've been unsuccessful. You then go to the process of getting your your amateur status back. So when when did that when did your mindset change from hey I'm just as good I'm going to keep doing this? When did you decide that you wanted to kind of take a break from it, but also still keep playing golf, so to speak? I'll I'll kind of start by uh, just describing my thought process in terms of stepping away from. Uh, uh, pursuing it professionally. Um, you know, yeah, because, my, and, and not to cut you off, but you can, you can step away from it and still be a pro where you, right. yeah, you can go play in, you know, the occasional state open that you want to go play in. And Hey, if you sure. make a check, you make a check, but you step away and then say, I want to go play an amateur golf. Yeah, no. Um, so what really, uh, the, the, uh, what contributed to that decision for me is I, whether, however you look at it, 
um, the, the time that I came through college golf and, uh, went out and played professionally early on, uh, some of the guys that were coming through at the same time are, are guys like Ricky Fowler and, and Cameron Tringali and Jamie Lovemark and Webb Simpson. A lot of these guys that I was lucky to kind of come up and, and play a lot of my golf against. And, um, you know, I saw firsthand how good those guys were. And those are guys that had success pretty much right away in terms of getting out onto the PGA tour and, and playing well out there. And I just, I thought to myself, you know, these guys, there is a gap between where I'm at and where those guys are at, yeah. uh, not just professionally, but from an actual playing standpoint. Uh, and, and, you know, when I thought about it that way, it, it made the decision. It, it's a it's a difficult decision when it's what you want to do your whole life. But at the same time, um, you know, there's a reality to it. And so uh, I, I just I kind of use those guys as an example uh, for myself in terms of deciding to kind of step away. I, I, I thought, uh, you know, those guys are a lot better than I am, you yeah. know, and there's a reason why they're where they are. And, and I haven't quite gotten there. And so th- that's sort of what contributed to me deciding to, to step away. And so, um, you know, that, that time is 2014. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I decided to stop and I got really lucky. I got a great job, uh, in Chapel Hill, um, with a a great group of guys an investment firm there. And, uh, it, it really allowed me for a year or two to kind of take my mind off of it completely. I was able to dive in and, uh, I I did some really kind of interesting work, uh, there at the firm and, um, but you know, at the same time, a- after a couple of years, uh, you know, some time went by, I hadn't played any tournament golf. That was the first time since I could really remember, uh, you know, that I had gone 12, 18, 24 months without teeing up in a golf tournament. Um, and I missed it. I missed it a lot. And so, yeah. uh, just did a little research on, on kind of what it would take to get my amateur status back. My thought was, uh, honestly, then at the time it was, man, I, I could stay here and, and work here for, for, for the rest of my career. I liked it that much and, and just play a handful of, uh, you know, tournaments a, a year and, and, uh, and just kind of enjoy, uh, life that way. And yeah. so, um, I, I, I applied in 2015, got my amateur status back and, uh, 2016 started to play, um, some local stuff and, and qualified for the mid amateur, the one that Stewart won up in Pennsylvania and, um, I think that tournament probably, um, y- you know, it, it playing a USGA event, uh, again, for the first time in several years, it, it just, uh, yeah, it just, it made me want to do it again on a little bit more serious level. Uh, and in 2017, I actually switched jobs. I, I, um, went and worked for, uh, Parsons extreme golf PXG and, uh, it allowed me a little bit more time, uh, to, to work on my game. And, and, uh, it, there was a little bit more vacation time as well. So I could play a few more events and, sure. you know, that's how that kind of morphs from, from, you know, completely stepping away and, and doing the career thing to maybe playing a little bit more. And, and that got my feet wet again. And I started to have some success and, uh, actually felt like my game, uh, improved over that time without even working on it full time. Now you mentioned you mentioned the job you mentioned you know working at an uh, you know wealth management and then transitioning to PXG, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm assuming at PXG you're you're going you're traveling to country clubs doing kind of demo days. Is that kind of what you're doing? 
Yeah, the setup is a little different uh, okay. at PXG. Um, it, it, you're, you're right. I, I definitely – so my territory was North Carolina and Virginia. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of outfit you with a van. And, and like you said, for the most part, you're going around um, participating at demo days and, and that kind of thing. But where they vary a little bit is um, – we also were, were kind of calling on clubs and, and asking them if we could come out and uh, and set up just individually and, and where we would be the only one there. Right. Uh, and we and we took, you know, appointments for folks that were interested in and uh, actually being fit for the stuff. And so, you, you know, that that's more what it was. It was kind of working one on one with guys that were kind of interested in the brand new, uh, you know, golf company that had a lot of noise around it. And sure. they just wanted to see what it was about. And so it was really cool. Uh, you know, I felt like obviously had a lot of knowledge in that area. And so, um, it, it was a, it was a pretty easy transition for me. Um, it, you know, in terms of the work, it, it really didn't feel a whole lot like work to be honest with you. And, um, I, I actually knew a lot of the pros I was calling on. And so it, it was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. So, <laughs> so you, you know, you had your jobs, you, you got the wealth manager, you're working for, for PXG, you're getting back into amateur golf, playing in, in USGA events. So now we're getting to 2018 and <laughs> it's such a fascinating year because I'm assuming it started with the intention of going back to play professionally again, or at some point that became the plan. When did sure. that start in 2018 and who helped you actually talk you into doing it? Ooh, what a uh, kind of a loaded, uh, so yeah, of course uh, it's a loaded question, man. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I, I made the transition from, uh, from the wealth management gig to PXG in March of 2017 and, and was at PXG for, uh, just over a year. And it was really the spring last year, 2018, where, um, I felt like I had played in, you know, enough tournaments and saw some things from my game. Uh, I don't have any kids. I am married. Uh, but that was definitely a part of the, you know, the discussion. It was like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm 29 years old. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily have anything, you know, tying me down. I've got the, the time here if I want kind of to make another run at this. And so, um, everybody was supportive, you know, from, from my family, from that standpoint. And, uh, in, in April I left PXG and the idea was, you know, I was lucky. Like I said, I had played, uh, you know, some good golf and it, it allowed me to kind of build a schedule an amateur schedule where I was going to be able to play, you know, call it eight to 10 tournaments throughout the summer. Um, and I felt like that was enough to, um, to get my game where I wanted to get it for Q school. And that was the plan. And so, um, it, I, I had some good success. I won in June at the Monroe Invitational. It's a pretty good amateur tournament up in, in New York. And that was a huge confidence boost and, uh, qualified for the U S amateur played that out at Pebble beach, which was just awesome. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't play as well as I would have liked there, but it, it was just a great learning experience. And, um, I was able to apply it, you know, right away, uh, at the next tournament at the mid amateur, uh, you know, and, and, and that just, you know, needless to say that that really changed everything winning there. Oh, of course. Uh, so the thing I was actually pivoting towards is that if, did your, did your wife have any hand in, in motivating you or in kind of talking you into playing professionally? 
she didn't talk me into it. Uh, that was definitely kind of something I approached her with, but okay. you know, anytime your wife, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, there's like zero pushback or resistance <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, that, that's, that might as well be talking me into it. Well, I'm um, just, I'm just thinking like most, <laughs> most of us amateurs have to, you know, most amateurs have to talk the wife into letting you go play on the weekend with your buddies right. and, and you're, you're trying to sell, sell the wife on the idea of you like playing professional golf again. Do you, I know. Do you, yeah. remember, do you remember the initial conversation of when, when that happened? Yeah, I, I would say initial conversations, plural. Uh, it's not like <laughs> I, I just, you know, it definitely took, you know, a little bit uh, of effort on my part. But okay. like I said, you know, she, my wife and I, Michelle, we've been together uh, for a really long time. And so she's kind of been a part of this whole uh, ride this whole journey, so, uh, so if you will. A, so, so she's a golf wife. She's a golf wife, you yeah. know, and, and certainly well aware of, of kind of my aspirations. So, and I think too, um, like I mentioned before, we, 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 we didn't have any kids and, and, uh, you know, we're still somewhat young. And, uh, I think she understood that, you know, if it's something that you want to do, you have the time, uh, and I've got no real issues with it. In fact, I think it'll be, it'll be a good experience for you to just kind of go out and try it again. And, and, uh, that way you can always, you know, say, you know, you did it. The wife of the U S mid amateur champion lets him go play golf. So, <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, she, you know, Kevin O'Connell's wife says it's okay to go play, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that hey, if it'll help out. Please. Yeah. Oh you yeah, of course. Um, so yeah. So you have this great 2018 and you know, you're, you're, you're getting, uh, ready for the U.S. Mid-Am. I mean, obviously, you know, you qualify, but you don't know how it's going to go. You know how that tournament is. You can you can play great and make match play and just run into a buzzsaw and, and, and you're Aggression. out. Yeah, so yep. that, that thing's just... Um, but your plan was to go to European Tour Q School, or was it... Correct. Okay, That's so, correct. Yep. So, so your, your plan is to go to that, and I, I believe you, like, already have your travel plans all set up. So you're all set to go, but you just got to no play. No question. But you just got to play the U.S. Mid-Am. Once that's done, then, then you're going. Uh, I won the Mid-Am. I think the day of the week I won it on was Thursday, and I was set. My first stage was over just outside Paris, France, uh, and I was set to leave the following Thursday, seven days later. So that, that, was, that was all set. Uh, you know, everything was kind of paid for and, and obviously set up. Um, you know, months in advance of that. So that was the plan. And, you know, you win the U.S. mid I'm not going to go through. I know you had a lot of close matches. I know you, you had a, a great final against Brett Boner. He was a local guy, you know, beat him in the, yep. in the 36 hole final. But you got the trophy. Uh, you do the, the media. You do the press. I'm sure that the questions are about, you know, how special is it going to be playing Augusta? And did everyone kind of know your situation uh, that was interviewing you right after the tournament or, or was that something they really didn't know about? So they, they held kind of a, a brief one for TV right. um, uh, on the, on the 15th green um, wh where the match ended. And uh, Brett quickly did that interview and he actually asked me about it. So to answer your question, yeah, I think a lot of the media there was definitely aware of that, um, of that plan. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, it went when there's a possible invitation to the masters um, and an exemption into the U S open, you know, those are tournaments, whether you're a, a pro or an amateur um, <clears throat> that you're going to, you're going to play and no oh, matter, sure. you're going to do what you got to do. And, and so um, the decision to kind of bypass Q school and, and turn pro was a pretty easy one at that point. 
Yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta definitely do that. I, I, I mean, obviously people that know golf, people that follow golf know about Colt Nose who, who had the, basically yep. the same exemptions and, uh, and he, he, he passed and, and turned pro immediately. I mean that, I guess that's the, the immediate thought of just about anyone in that situation. Were there other pros or other amateurs that, that, that reached out to you or you reached out to just for advice or not necessarily on, you know, should I stay an amateur and, and take advantage of the the benefits of this victory, but were there people yeah. that talked to you or people that you reached out to about this? Well, uh, I'll, I, yeah, certainly. Um, I, I would also add, you know, it, um, th- while the decision was easy because of, uh, what the win came with in terms of the masters and the U S open, and also a lot of the other, um, really neat invitational oh, kind of mid amateur tournaments. I mean, it's, it comes with so much and, um, it, it was an easy decision from that standpoint, but at the same time, as I mentioned, you know, I stopped work altogether uh, in early 2018 with the goal in mind that I was going to go over and and uh, and try to go through Q school in Europe. And, and it's like, you know, you, you work all year for that. Uh, and you're obviously uh, you get my game was peaking uh, right at that time, exactly the way I would have tried to draw it up. Um, and so from that standpoint, to to kind of pull the plug on, on the ultimate goal was it, it from that standpoint it was a little bit difficult, um, you know, because, you know, my game was in a good spot, which is exactly what I wanted. But uh, in terms of reaching out to some guys, you know, the first guy that I uh, called and, 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 you know, we had a, a number of conversations with Scott Harvey. Scott's a, a really good uh, fellow mid amateur from North Carolina and, He's obviously gone through everything I've gone through and sure. uh, just had a lot of success. Actually, uh, you know, he's had a pretty storied uh, amateur career himself. And so um, he was kind of the first guy. He was the one that I knew best. And so, y- y- you know, he kind of held my hand actually through uh, through a lot of the winter, um, just in preparation for this year. Yeah, no, he was a previous guest, as you know, on the podcast and Right. Yeah. I mean, Walker Cupper, U.S. Mid, and, and yeah, he's whole thing. Whole you know, thing. He's, yep. <laughs> big, big fan of Cracker Barrel, too. You'll have to ask him about that. So big fan of Cracker Barrel. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Just ask, ask him about Mama's pancakes. That's, that's, that's All his right. thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're going to stay amateur. You're getting ready for, for the Masters. You're, you're preparing for this. What are some of the things that you had to do that you felt was the best preparation to play in the Masters? You know, obviously, mid-amateurs have had limited success. I know Stu made made the cut, but ultimately it's been limited success. What are some of the things that you, you know, maybe that Harvey told you that you tried to do to get yourself as, as prepared as possible? Um, that's a good question. I, I, you know, so the first thing is when, when uh, it took about probably three or four weeks to receive the first uh, communication from Augusta, uh, just letting me know that I was going to be invited and, and it laid out kind of some guidelines in terms of what sort of practice or, or the access I was going to have, uh, to Augusta national in preparation for the tournament. So they allow, um, it, obviously some, so you to go up and make some trips early. And so, you know, Scott's advice was, uh, you know, you want to play that golf course as much as you possibly can. Uh, and second to that, um, the golf course at, as you approach April, it, it, it starts to play a little bit more like it will during the tournament. And so it, it can be really hard. You know, I had never played Augusta national before. And so when you, um, you know, when they let you know that you can kind of 
go out there and start playing. It's hard sure. not to just be out there every day in October. Of you know? course, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, but so, you know, I, what I, what I did is I, I went up there as much as I could. Um, I had a chance to play, you know, with a member or two and, um, just, it, it's one of those courses where it, it's obviously very long. Um, and so you've got to drive the ball well. And so that, that after my initial visit, that became, uh, you know, kind of the main thing. It was like, what, what do I need to do to kind of, if I can get a little longer off the tee, uh, you know, that, that was definitely something I started to work on, uh, as far as in my game, but just getting comfortable with playing Augusta national. It's, it's, uh, it's similar to Pebble beach in that, um, it's hard not to just, you know, be looking around and, and kind of daydreaming while you're out there and you got to get over that, uh, at some point if you want to be able to compete. So I, I, I felt like I did a pretty good job of, of playing a lot of practice rounds. Um, and really, you know, aside from that, it was just, um, you, you know, the, the, the greens are what they are. Yes, they're fast, they're undulating, but, um, when you've gotten to a certain level, you've, you've played plenty of, of championship courses where the greens are rolling fast and, um, and they're difficult. It, it was really just the, um, working on the driver. I thought that was really important and getting comfortable with the golf course. Those are kind of the two main things that, uh, that I focused on. And then obviously you get there, um, you know, preparing for it when there's really no galleries around is one thing, but then you get on site, you're on campus and it's master's week. Right. It, I mean, it had to just hit, <laughs> hit you like just a ton of bricks. Like, Oh God, what, wait a minute. I was just here a couple yeah. months ago. Right. And now it, what is this? Right. Yeah. It, it, that, that's a good point. And, and I'll be honest too. I, I'd, I'd be curious. I haven't, I should go back and listen to some of the other guys and their experience. But when the, when the actual tournament rounds, uh, came around, it, you know, you are, you're in a tournament and you're focused on what you're doing. And for the most part, the patrons are just sort of background. You, you, I mean, you notice them, but they're not too much of a distraction. The thing that, um, took me the most getting used to is, is playing with guys that are top 50 in the world guys that, you know, I watch a lot of golf and, and, uh, it's it just, it, it's, uh, it, it was kind of the first time playing day in and day out with, uh, with those guys. And, and that just took a little bit of getting used to, I, I think more so than, uh, than kind of all the commotion of, of having thousands of people around the guy you played with. That was like, Oh man, I, that's a different level. And, and, and yeah. actually, you know, that brings you up. I'm glad you mentioned that because that brings a really interesting thing. You know, it's a, a career amateur or someone that does not have aspirations to turn professional. Um, you were kind of different than maybe the, the, the Stuart Hagestads or the Scott Harvey's that, you know, Hey, right. this is great. I made it and I'm playing in the masters, but I, I'm not turning pro no matter what happens this weekend. Um, sure. you are, you know, that you're about to get back into playing professional and you have your front row center with these guys that are where you want to be. Sure. Did it give you pause or like, what, am, wait a minute, I got to go get to, like, I got to play against this guy. <laughs> uh, there was definitely some of that. Um, at the same time, I, I would say I was pleasantly surprised, you, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done, but the, the takeaway for me was definitely it, it's, it is possible. It would have, you know, obviously been discouraging if, if I came away and thought to myself, look, that, you know, that level is just not, it, it's not achievable. Um, and it, it's going to have to be my version of it. You know, I'm not going to hit it over the bunker on one at Augusta, but, um, right. 
you know, it, like I said, my version of it, I, I think is, is it is possible. And so, um, but you know, the, the guys that, uh, I had a chance to play with so many different guys in the practice rounds. I showed up on Saturday, uh, the week before. And so over the course of five days, um, it, you know, I probably played with at least 10 or 12 guys and, um, the thing that, that struck me is, you can, yeah. name, you can name drop here. I'll pick those names up for you. Go ahead. Drop them. Oh man. Well, by far my, my favorite guy I got to play with was Kevin Kisner. He is the man. <laughs> um, I mean, and you talk about not missing a shot and, and through the bag, it, like that guy doesn't miss a shot. He's a good chipper. He's a good putter. It, it, there's no wonder. And you know, when I played with him seven days earlier, he had just won the match play and it's like, yeah. You know, you're going from playing with your buddies back at home to playing with the guy that you just watched win the match play, you know, in, in Austin. It's just, it, it just <laughs> took some getting used to. <laughs> well, and I would imagine, though, that that's a perfect guy for you to play with because Kisner's not one of the longest guys on tour by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And, right. you know, I, I, I'm guessing that's better for you than to play with, with, with Kepka or right. you know or Rory or someone like that that you're sure. like good god this guy's just a right so a beast yeah yeah i was <laughs> exactly right i was just gonna say that guy's a beast um so you're playing with kisner did you bring him i mean did you bring him just like a you know a, a, some copenhagen just to kind of butter him up or like <laughs> no or no so he and i played nine on sunday and, and that was cool because obviously no patrons were there it was just uh myself him michael kim joined us as well nice. and then my wife my wife walked along with us which was really cool and he he was really nice to her too which which he just all around was such a good such a good dude and um he was also really helpful I, I think that was either his second or third masters and so he had notes in his yardage book and was uh probably the most open about you know sharing his thoughts and and uh and opinions on where to miss it and clubs to hit and where the wind can switch and little things like that i just got so much out of playing with him and you're absolutely right um playing with a guy that by tour standards is of kind of average to maybe a little above average length uh, was was helpful. It was helpful to see how a guy like that moves around right. uh, Augusta National. Yeah, because it's not going to help you if you see some guy you're carrying it 320. That you're like, well, that, sure. that doesn't help me. You're playing right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cool. Cool to see, uh, you know, kind of to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool to watch. We're like, all right, I, I don't yeah. need to watch that freak show. That's, that's not helping me at all. <laughs> um, so you're, so you're, you play the, you play the masters, you miss the cut, you, you shoot, you know, 77, 71. I know you right. picked up an Eagle. So you picked up uh, some, some hardware there. I know that your yep. wife was on the bag for the par three contest. You know, I've spoken to numerous U S mid-am champs that have stayed in the crow's nest and it's such a really childish question to ask, but well, that's me. So we're just going to do it anyway. So <laughs> you're in the crow's nest. You're around all this memorabilia. You've stayed in dumpy hotels in your mini tour days. Everyone's yep. guilty of, you know, maybe snagging a bottle of shampoo or snagging a towel or snagging something out of a, out of a hotel. I know you didn't snag anything out of the crow's nest, but when you're looking around and seeing all the memorabilia on the walls, um, what looked like something that would be perfect in your den that would get maybe a new home? Uh, probably a little trash can. They, they got these, uh, you know, little, I, I don't know, it's probably like a 10 by 12 type trash can with the Augusta national golf club logo on it. I, th I thought that would have been kind of cool. Yeah, of course. 
Um, <laughs> nice. Well, and for the record, you did not lift anything from Augusta National. Now, Harvey had, oh man, Harvey told me did that. He? No, he didn't, but he told me that he, he was up there with Corey Connors and it was like Monday yeah. night and there was nobody around and he went downstairs and got a case of Coors Light and they just drank beer nice. and told stories all night. Um, That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you have? Are you that bold to do something like that? We got uh, so, so there were four of us that night uh, up there. And who, uh, and Ortiz who was? was up there. Okay. Yeah, Ortiz, Hovland, myself, and and the um, the, the Asia Pacific Amateur uh, yeah. champion was there, and um, he he didn't really speak much English, but I mean, obviously, when we got done with the amateur dinner. Uh, you know, they let you out reasonably early, probably around nine o'clock. And so we had some time to just sit up there and, and, you know, take it all in together. Uh, you know, shared some stories about who we had played with and, and, uh, and just our thoughts on the golf course and what it was like to be there. And, uh, you know, we, a couple of us had a drink and it, it was just, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, it, it's a, it's a couple hour experience that, you know, you're probably never going to get again. Uh, and you, and you kind of dream about it your whole life. And, um, yeah, just, just really cool. You know, it's, and I only stayed there that one night as I think most of us did. Um, but it, it it just, yeah, it was phenomenal. I, I, I will say I really didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night. It's like, how do you sleep in the crow's nest? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it is kind of tight quarters, but yeah, I I bet you're all just kind of staring at each other. Just like, can you believe this? I mean, like (laughs) what's happening right now? That's exactly the feeling. Like no matter how, you know, in Victor's case, you know, he's such a good player and and is probably going to go on to have a lot of success, but even for a guy like that, um, it, it, it's just one of those things, you know, it, it, you just, it's hard not to be, you know, to, to kind of be in that mind mindset, like you just described. So you, you enjoy the master's experience. You know, now that your year is going to be a lot different because you're, uh, I'm guessing trying to figure out your 2019 calendar that puts you in the best position to possibly make the Walker cup team. Yep. No, no question. So you, I, you know, you got the USAM, you got the US open on your list. I know you just played the Coleman had a really good finish. I believe what T3 at the Coleman at, down at Seminole. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, so that, that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So you got this great. Now what's your calendar look like for the rest of the year and how have you set it up? Um, you know, obviously you want to, uh, <clears throat> whether it was a Walker cup year or not, um, the, the ability to kind of play, lot of the elite uh, amateur tournaments is definitely uh, you know something that I look forward to and so um, I- I'm gonna play quite a bit it, you know I'm gonna um, I- I'll just kind of list them out so uh, I'll, I'll get ahead. a little bit of what it's like actually to you know some of these guys that you see play week in and week out uh, starting at the US Open I'll play the US Open and fly straight from there to uh, the Northeast Amateur, which is in Rhode Island, um, and then fly straight from there down to Pinehurst and play in the North and South. And so that's a three weeks right in a row. I was actually talking to Matt Parziali at the Coleman about that, and he was like, man, you get down to the North and South, because he did exactly that last year. And, uh, it, you know, it's 95 degrees and humid, and he was like, you know, I, I got out there for my first stroke play around, and my body just – almost kind of gave out on me you know between the heat and the travel you know we're just not used to that and yeah. so um you know I, I look forward to to giving that a shot and then um 
I'll have a couple weeks. I'll play the Players Amateur in Hilton Head, uh, and then I'll go back up and play the Porter Cup. I, it's one of my favorite tournaments uh, up in Niagara Falls, and then the Western Amateur, uh, and then the U.S. Amateur. And so that'll kind of culminate the, the summer schedule. And at that point, we'll just uh, hope we've played well enough to, to you know, make Captain Crosby's team. That, that would just be another experience of a lifetime. And you were at the practice session at uh, in South Florida around December of last year. So you played Seminole, yep. you played uh, you know Bears Club and all the other courses, and you got you know you're sure. surrounded by. I know you had Stu there, but you're also surrounded yep. by all these college kids. Is there a message that you received from the USGA or from from Captain Crosby directly assigned to maybe you and and Stu as here's what you know we, we'd like to have a mid am on the team. There's going to be a mid am on the team here's kind of a direction that you should go in to put yourself in the best position because you don't have as many opportunities perhaps to pick up the points that like a, a college player would. Excellent point. So uh, no kind of direct message from the USGA or, or, or captain, but um, I, I think, I don't know exactly, you know, how I got this information probably from Stu or, or possibly just in, in pieces from some other guys. I, I know Scott, uh, talk to me a little bit about this, but you know, everybody's kind of said, if your goal is to make that team, um, you gotta, uh, skip maybe some of the, the mid-am tournaments and, and go play the Northeast, go play the Western amateur. Um, you gotta do the best you can to go play against, you know, the other college age kids that are trying to make the team, because that's what they want to see. They want to see how you, how you stack up against those guys, because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going over there to play against, um, 18 to 22 year old guys. And yeah. so, um, like I said, though, no, it's not like Catherine came up and said, look, I, I kind of want to see you play in these tournaments. It's more so just through some other guys. Um, that's what they've said, but there's no question that they, you know, you want to play the big events and, and you want to play well. And I'm just like any other level. Of course. Yeah. How are you balancing? Like, you know, so are you working this year or kind of, you know, I guess it's kind of a unique situation, you know, that you have to take right. this opportunity to go do these things. It's kind of a, yep. not to say it's a once in a lifetime, but it's, it's almost once in a lifetime year for you. No um, question. So, it is. So, yep. so what's your, what's the dynamic? I mean, are you, are you working? Are you just kind of taking a leave? Are you, uh, so, so taking this year completely off, actually similar to last year, it's just, you know, Ben, it's, it's, uh, I just listed off probably eight or nine tournaments and, and they're not yeah. really spaced out. So <clears throat> to entertain a, a job is, is pretty much impossible. So, um, I just, I made a decision after I won the mid-am. It's like, if I can just get enough support from my family, which luckily I have, I, I just want to do the best I can to enjoy 2019 and, and uh and so that's what i'm doing i'm just really trying to enjoy the golf um I, I love playing love competing and so no no job for this year just uh going around playing a lot of great golf against a lot of great competition and, and really having fun with it and you're not in north carolina right now so you've set up home base at tpc sawgrass to work on your game and get ready for that so i mean that's yep. That's ground zero for, for PGA tour players. I mean, they, they're obviously are working on their game out there. I'm sure you've seen, sure. I'm sure you've seen VJ out there. He's probably out there right now, I would imagine. But, um, <laughs> you know, who are some of the pros that you've run into there that you've gotten to know that have maybe been able to give you a little bit of advice or, or, you know, talk you through the process of going down this, this great year and this great experience you're going to have. 
you know, Billy Horschel and I have kind of crossed paths a couple times uh, leading up to the Masters. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we chatted a little bit about it. But uh, as far as those guys, so there, there's at TPC Sawgrass, there's there's a back end uh, to the range where those guys kind of practice. And so um, I, I don't have access to the back, obviously, as an amateur. And so you really don't um, interact with those guys too much unless you're really good friends with them. Uh, I've got some buddies that play web.com uh, golf and, uh, you know, I go out and play with them some. And, and so more so those guys that, uh, that I've gotten to know, but, um, another guy that I've gotten to meet a little bit this winter, actually down in Bradenton, Florida, uh, is Paul Azinger. And, and I, I've got a, a mutual friend that's friends with Paul and we've gone out and played some golf and that's just been a blast. You know, I never met Paul before, sure. um, just a couple months ago. And so, uh, you know, obviously he's a little older. He doesn't maybe play quite as well as he did when he was in his prime, but still can get it around and make some birdies. And you can definitely pick his brain about short game stuff. And, and he's willing to share and just an incredible personality, uh, just in general, he's been a lot of fun to, to play with. And, um, you know, Paul's pretty good friends with, uh, a guy named Parker McLaughlin and oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've gone out and played some games w- with, with the two of them. And so that's been a lot of fun too. That's uh that's great experience. You're getting right there and, and hell, I mean, any questions that you have for them, I mean, where, where else <laughs> right. are you going to go? I mean, Zinger's the, yeah. the Zinger's the man. So you got it. Um, as you know, we, we kind of opened things up to a lot of our listeners for this interview. They submitted some questions that they wanted to ask, and kind of get your feedback on, you know, your your on a Walker Cup shortlist, your your U.S. Mid Amateur Champion, your your balancing life. Uh, you know, I know you've taken the year off, but you're you're balancing a lot of different things, and I'm sure you can give some great insights. So, uh, great. got a couple listeners uh, or listeners that are pretty active on our Instagram page, and uh, our Instagram is back is the Back of the Range Podcast for people listening that have not subscribed yet. So go ahead and do that. But uh, one of our, our guys, Stefan, he had a question, you know, how do you channel? And I love this question because it's it's this could be at any level. So he wants to know, like, how do you how do you get yourself into a positive mindset going into a match against a friend or maybe a, a frenemy, so to speak? But anyway, going against a friend who's a really good player and still kind of remain connected to your own game plan and your own, uh, you know, your own way of managing yourself around the course because apparently he looks like he was in a local qualifier for a mid-am or it was against one of his one of his you know buddies and he just yep. he had a tough time so i guess to recap the question you know how do you get yourself in the right mindset to play against someone that you know um in a, in a tournament round yeah that's an excellent question and I, you know i i would say you know that guy's definitely not alone in that i think even at uh at the upper echelons of the game, these guys, uh, to some degree struggle with that. And I think a lot of it too is, is, uh, dependent on your personality, but, um, you know, for me, it's, I I think it's going to sound cliche, but, um, you just have to kind of go, you you realize that if you're with a a buddy or, or even somebody that you've played a lot of golf with and you know, they're a good player, um, you kind of have to go into it knowing that it, it's not going to be a typical round of golf and that you may not be able to just kind of go about your business like you normally would. And so I, I think, it, you know, not battling that is important, understanding that there may be a little bit more uh, chatting and, and, and just, again, not fighting that um, it, it is kind of how I go about it. Uh, I'm not somebody that 
is talking in between uh, shots all that frequently. But when I am playing with somebody that I know, um, you know, instead of the whole time feeling like I'm, I'm being a jerk, I, I just, I understand that there's going to be a little bit more chatting and it, it might be a little bit lighter atmosphere and, and that that's okay. I, I think you just don't want it to become a distraction that you feel like you're being a jerk by being quiet. Uh, sure. So I, my, my approach is just, understanding it's not going to be kind of a typical round of golf and that that's okay. Uh, just, just try not to kind of fight that. Just, just go with the flow. Um, it, it, it's not going to detract from how you play. Um, and then I, I would add too, obviously the more experience with that you have, uh, you'll just, you'll get better at it. I, I mean, at this point, um, I've gotten plenty of pairings with guys that I know are extremely good players, uh, that I don't know that well. Uh, you, you know, and I've just kind of learned from experience on that front. And, and then as far as playing some matches or even getting pairings with guys that I know really well, um, it's definitely uh, taken a couple, uh, you know, experiences getting used to maybe talking a little bit more um, and, and not being quite as focused as as I normally would. Um, I, I just think try not to fight it would be my advice. Okay. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, another, another listener, uh, my buddy, Don, he, uh, he, he wants to know what advice would you give a kind of upper level mid-am, uh, whether it's a state level, national level an upper level mid-am, they want to keep their game sharp. They want to compete at the high level, but they got to juggle the family. They got to juggle the full-time career. What advice do you give to, to someone at that level? And I guess that's, I mean, that is the, ultimate mid-am question like how do i play the best golf possible and still keep my responsibilities and and keep everything in check yeah i, I think so what's and this is um i, I would say i'm going to filter my answer kind of uh i I've, I've asked some of the other guys this question sure. uh that, that are actually in that boat um and and kind of the the uh the overwhelming majority of, of those guys would tell you um you really have to understand because you've got limited time to kind of work on your game. That's just the reality of it. And so, um, you know, you may be a good ball striker. And so therefore it's fun to go out there and hit balls. And that really may not be doing a whole lot for your game, or you might be a really good putter. And so it's fun to go out and do and have a lot of putting contests. I, I think what I've heard is, you know, really understand where kind of your weaknesses are and even though you've got limited time and it may not be as fun to work on what you're not as good at, you just have to kind of have the discipline to, to work on your short game if that's where you struggle or work on your driver on the range if that's where you struggle, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and then you just – the other thing too is nothing replaces tournament golf. And so um, if you don't necessarily have uh, the time or the freedom to, to go out and play three or four round uh, – tournaments do the best you can while you're at home to try to mimic what it's like to play in a tournament um if it's whatever it is that makes you a little bit uncomfortable whether it's playing with uh better players at your club uh or just things like that you want to try to do the best you can uh to mimic tournament golf because ultimately that's where you find out where your game's really at yeah no that's you got to get out there and play and compete. And, and, you know, you can hit, like you said, you can hit balls all you want to do all the drills, but you got to know what it feels right. like to, when you got to make a six footer and you, you know, you're, you're nervous. Um, That's where you learn. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had another question. This is actually from a former guest. So um, okay. former guest, this is, this is a long one. And this is one where 
<clears throat> you know, we will <laughs> we'll see where this one goes. Um, okay. So, former guest on the podcast, Greg O'Mahony. He's a he is a um, he played uh, the mini tours. He did Monday into the Honda. He had uh, he's played all over the world. Um, you know, we were talking about you know ex pros getting their amateur status back and having success. So, I asked him his thoughts on this, and his stance is that he kind of feels once you're a pro, you're always a pro. Um, and he's just kind of like, you know, especially for guys that have had success on, on web or PGA tour events or anything like that. And his, his feeling is that he would have a really tough time getting motivated to play maybe amateur golf after being a professional previously. So, right. you know, some of his questions are with your professional background, do you feel that you're kind of on an equal playing ground against some of the amateurs that you've played against? that have had, you know, the full-time jobs after they graduated college. And then also, how do you, how do you get motivated for these, for these events? Um, knowing that you're not playing for money, it's not your livelihood. And, um, you know, it, if you shoot 67, 77, whatever you shoot, it's still, it's, it's not your livelihood. My situation is, is, is a little bit unique for that. Um, and, and uh, for both parts of those questions, you know, part one there is, you know, for me, um, the biggest tournament I played in as a professional was a mini tour event, uh, or right. maybe obviously you might argue it was Q school. Uh, and so having never made it to, um, the web.com or a PGA tour event or a European tour event, whatever it is, uh, I, I didn't quite enjoy, it doesn't even sound like the success that, that Greg might have. And so for me, I felt like there was still a lot to prove, um, at the amateur level, uh, to be honest with you. And so when I, uh, went back and got my amateur status, I kind of felt like I had a lot to prove kind of to myself. Um, and, and so that ties into the second answer. How do you get motivated? Um, there's still a lot to play for. Uh, you know, anytime there's major championships, uh, available with a win, like there are at the USAM and the US mid amateur, um, that's plenty of motivation for me. Sure. Um, you, you know, and then obviously too, uh, it, it's, th there is, there's a game even within the amateur game. I mean, there, there are levels to amateur golf. Uh, I'm fortunate after having one last September that I'm able to play in all the best tournaments. And so if you're not playing in the best tournaments, it's, it's, it should be kind of fun to see if you can play well enough to get invited to those because, sure. There is a big difference between playing in maybe your state am, uh, you know, and playing in the sunny Hannah amateur, for example. Um, they're a lot of fun to go play. They're great golf courses. The competition's really good. Uh, I, I I understand where he's coming from. Uh, you know, if you shoot sixty-seven or seventy-seven, there's no money on the line. But um, you know, I, I I just think, and and again, for me, it's a little different because I I do. Uh, still harbor some thoughts of, of possibly being a pro again. And so there's that element too. But for a guy like that, I, I think, you know, it, it's still fun to play the, the best tournaments, even if it is at the amateur level. It's, it's more fun, like I said, to go play the Northeast Am than it is maybe to play, uh, you know, the, the North Carolina Amateur or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so that would kind of be my, my response there. Well, I have just a couple ones, uh, to, and then we'll let you go. I'm sure you got got to get out there and practice a little bit today. You can't just talk to me all day about uh, about golf. But um, I, I forgot to ask you this question around the Masters. You know, okay. if I'm if if I'm correct, 
Every player gets eight free tickets and then the opportunity to purchase four more. Is that correct? That's right. That's correct. How hard was that to figure out who gets the master's tickets? Uh, harder than probably you even think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, first the tee shot off the first tee, or telling the thirteenth person that they're not going to the Masters. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, what a great. Um, Who was the thirteenth person? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> you know that that it, it's tough. It's not quite to the level of like you know, uh, there's cousins you've never heard of, uh, but it's close to that. Um, uh, but I I would say, uh, geez, probably telling people that they can't, that I'm just out of tickets was, was harder because I don't do that as, as often as hitting a first tee shot. Right. Right. (laughs) But, but that had to just be like terrible. Cause I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you got, you got the, you know, you got the fam- the really close family members. Um, I mean, who did, can I ask who, who, who got the tickets or, or do you want to? Keep- yeah, it was all family. Right. Uh, well, um, Monday and Tuesday I had, you know, some, some friends back from high school, college, et cetera. Right. Um, but once Wednesday rolled around, um, it, you know, it, it was pretty easy to put together 12 family members. So, nice. uh, it, you know, that, that's pretty much what it was. And, and even at that point, uh, we did a couple rental houses in Augusta because we had, close to 15 people uh between my caddy and his father was along for the whole week uh and then the rest was family and so uh you know there were days even where i had a couple family members that were on the sidelines watching on tv so uh, you know and, and at that point that some of the people unfortunately that you just you only had 12 tickets yeah, I, mean, I mean you just outlined it and so you can't you know everybody from from your hometown can't come no uh <laughs> and you actually need to focus on golf, not focus on, yeah. you know, like, you know, someone saying, Hey, where's my ticket? So, so my wife stepped in big on that. Oh, I was, she, I was just, know, I was just going to say, yeah. gonna say, like, just pawn that off on the wife and just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm playing this week. Talk to the wife. Yeah, right. But, right. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> well, I want to ask you, this is a tough one, but you know, you win the U S mid am you're the, you're, you're exempt into the next 10 U S mid ams for the next 10 years. If you, if you remain an amateur, you got basically an annual chance to win, uh, you know, the most competitive mid-amateur tournament in the world. And if you can make it to match play and get on a magical run and you, you, you find yourself back at the Masters, back in the U.S. Open. So in your mind, what is the most likely path for you to return to the U.S. Open and return to the Masters, staying as an amateur or turning professional? Um I told you it was a it was a dirty dirty question. I told you it is, but it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's an excellent one. I, I what I would say it's funny because I I've talked to a few guys um, about something similar to this, and I I think you know Tiger's impact on the game is so deep, and and it even reaches some some areas that you might not uh, think conventionally, and one of those is. You know, he made it so popular. You know, he brought in a lot of guys that uh, might have played a different sport that decided to play golf. That you know, that's certainly true. I think you know what he did for purses also brought in so many more guys. I, I mean, it, obviously, the amount of money that you can make uh, if you're successful as a pro, it's attractive for for a lot of people. Uh, you know, marginal players as well. And so, what you have is over the last decade or so is you have a lot of guys that. Um, you know, they've turned pro, they've gone out, maybe the, the, the best they've done is, is play a bunch of mini tour golf. Right. Um, sure. and, and you're going to see this exodus of players from the professional ranks, um, 
uh, you know, decide to get their amateur status back. And so, whereas maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you know, it, the, the field at the U.S. mid-amateur was, was mostly made up, or even, you know, if it was halfway made up of guys that were your classic mid-amateur, right? They were a doctor in town or, or they did whatever they did um, and, and they played golf kind of in, in their downtime. I think what you're going to see and you're already seeing it. I, I, I don't know what the fact is uh, on the quarterfinals, for example, uh, last year, but I, I know there were multiple reinstated amateurs that made deep runs in Charlotte. And so um, I, I think it, that winning that tournament every with every year that goes by, winning the mid-amateur is going to be more and more difficult. Yeah. Uh, just from the standpoint that you're getting uh, guys that have played professional golf or, or whatever it is, guys that are just better. Um, and and when you dangle the opportunity to play in a couple majors, you're going to get guys that really prepare uh, for that tournament. Um, may not be able to prepare for it like a professional, but uh, they'll do their version of that. And so, geez, to answer the question, I, I think you know it, it's it's important to say that I think winning a mid amateur is going to be you know more difficult as the years go by. Uh, but I would still say you know picking that tournament off is probably easier than winning a PGA tour event, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, so I, I would say remaining amateur is, is, has to be the best uh, kind of opportunity to get back to those tournaments. I, I don't necessarily know how I would feel on this or if I actually have, have thought it completely through, but I'll throw it out there. What if, if Augusta national said, you know, the U S mid amateur champion is going to get an invite to the masters, but there is a certain level of professional experience that if they've had, they are not going to get the invite. I don't know if that would ever happen. I don't know what that number would be, but do you sure. think? But do you think if they instituted anything like that, that would really change kind of the the thought process? Because knowing that, hey, you know, I I played six or seven years on a mini tour, or, or, or I I played on the I played on the web one year, or I did such right. and such, and and you knew before signing up for the U.S. Mid Am that if you won it, you would not be getting the invite. Do you sure. think? Do you think that would prevent? Do you think that would have any kind of a, ch- a change in the participation of that tournament? Uh, I, I think it would have to certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think though, if, if the exemption into the U S open was still there, yeah. uh, you, you, you wouldn't lose a ton of guys. Um, and then let's also to, uh, you know, understand how cool it is to be a USGA champion oh, of course. just in and of itself. Right. And so, you know, there, there's that too. Um, I, I think, in order to do something like that, you'd probably have to do it by amount of money earned. Uh, I, I don't know that you could say uh, a certain amount of years of experience. It just, that becomes so arbitrary. Um, so I don't know if they would do something like that, but I think to answer your question, I, I think, you know, the idea of still winning a USGA event, if you still got into the USO, but I think the participation would still be close to, to what it is. Yeah. No, I, I, I haven't fully unpacked that thing yet because I know there's yeah. lots of there's I mean we could talk for hours about the sure the the, the reinstated you know if, if I win a web event uh, my first year out and then do nothing and then get my amateur <laughs> status back and then right. as compared to some guy that's just killing it on a mini tour for like nine or ten years and just playing <clears throat> right. all the yeah so who knows um, yeah. Kevin, this has been great. I appreciate you answering the uh, my questions and 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 a lot of our listeners' questions. I know they appreciate that. Boy, you're in store for one hell of a year. You've already had a hell of a year playing in the Masters, and it feels like probably things are just going to really ramp up for you throughout the summer. 
and I, yeah. I know that uh, Walker Cup is is on the radar for for September at Hoy Lake. So we wish you the best. Uh, and enjoy the summer, and uh, thanks for thanks for joining us here at the back of the range. Thanks, man. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And there you have it, another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to our guest, the United States Mid-Amateur Champion, Kevin O'Connell, for joining us this week. Don't forget, we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we are on Instagram. Follow us there at the Back of the Range Podcast. I'm out of here, heading to Casa de Campo, but we'll see you next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.